Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Look, we have to talk about Cathy Wood and the ARK Disruptive Innovation ETF, but we're going to try to be nice. Things have not been going well for ARK investors. The ETF has had a bad year so far in 2022, where it's lost almost half of its value. 2021 wasn't so good either, where the Disruptive Innovation ETF lost just over 22%. Tech stocks in general did quite well that year, with the Nasdaq up 27.5%, which made the ARK Fund's performance even more surprising and disruptive. Now, most of the investors in the ETF are, of course, doing a bit worse than Cathy Wood, the fund manager, as Cathy has a few advantages over them. First, she invested in her fund on day one, and since inception, the fund has had positive returns. And apart from its extreme volatility, its overall performance has been roughly in line with the S&P 500. Most investors, unfortunately, didn't invest on day one along with Cathy. Bill Huang did, but the recent sell-off in ARK is in truth the least of his problems. If he's still invested, it might be one of his best investments over the period in question. Most investors, though, we find invested in late 2020 and in early 2021. And for that reason, most of them are deep underwater right now. So why didn't they invest on day one? Well, for one thing, they hadn't heard of the ETF on day one. They heard of it after it delivered returns of more than 150% in 2020. It was all over the news at the time and all over YouTube too. Now, it might surprise you that 2021 will have been a much better year for Cathy than 2020 was when the fund was up more than 150%. This is because the Disruptive Innovation ETF started out 2020 with less than $2 billion in assets under management. The management fee is 75 basis points, so fees would have been under $15 million on that asset base. At the peak in 2021, fees would have been over $200 million, and this is because so much more money had come in. So not a bad year for Cathy and her team, even if the fund was down in an up market that year. Alongside the Disruptive Innovation ETF, ARK Invest has 10 other investment vehicles dedicated to themes from cryptocurrencies to space exploration. They mostly have similar performance and similar fees. So overall assets for the company peaked in February 2021 at over $60 billion. So in terms of fees, 2021, the year in which they started losing money, would have been by far their best year. It would appear that less than 40 people work at ARK Invest, most of whom are quite young and have very little prior financial experience, so it's a good guess that the lion's share of profits will have gone to Cathy. So is there anything we can learn from this? Well, there are actually quite a few lessons here, one of which I take from one of my favorite investing books, Market Sense and Nonsense by Jack Schwager. In the introduction to the book, he tells the story of an early job he had working as a research director for a big Wall Street brokerage firm. 
one of his responsibilities was to evaluate CTAs, a type of investment fund. One of the statistics that CTAs were required to report by their regulatory authorities was the percentage of client accounts that closed with a profit. Jack describes in the book how surprised he was to discover that the majority of closed accounts showed a net loss for virtually all of the CTAs he reviewed, even those with virtually no losing years. How could this happen? Well, the answer is that investors, on average, are so bad at timing their investment entries and exits that most of them end up losing money even when they choose a consistently winning fund to invest in. They do this by buying after periods of good performance and panicking and selling during drawdowns. Now, this instinctive approach to investing might feel perfectly natural, even instinctive, but it turns out that it's generally wrong. We can look at the fund flows for the ARC Disruptive Innovation ETF since inception, and you can see the green lines are money flowing into the fund and the red lines are money flowing out. I chose this fund not to pick out someone who's underperforming right now, but because it provides a really vivid example of the mistake investors make in chasing performance. You can see that not much happened in terms of fund flows for the first few years, and then all of the money came in right after the fund performance peaked. If we look at the same chart for an S&P tracking ETF, you can see similar behavior where investors buy after good periods of performance and sell after periods of bad stock market performance. It's less obvious with an S&P tracker just because the tracker is considerably less volatile than ARC and it won't have attracted nearly as much attention as the Disruptive Innovation ETF did. Based on these fund flows, you can see that while ARC Disruptive Innovation has had similar long-term percentage returns to the overall market since its inception, in dollar terms, the team at ARC Invest have lost way more money than they ever made for clients. This ETF is up in percentage terms since inception, but overall it's a net contributor of money to the market, a destroyer of wealth. A gain of 150% on $2 billion, followed by a loss of 70% of $60 billion, is just not a good thing. There's a long history of funds like this, a good example being the Munder NetNet Fund, which was a dot-com mutual fund from the late 1990s. The NetNet Fund returned around 175% in 1999, and its asset under management ballooned to more than $11 billion by spring 2000, right as the dot-com bubble burst. As tech stocks fell in 2000, the fund lost 54%. The next year it lost an additional 48%. Between investment losses and investors withdrawing their money, net-net shrank to $1 billion in assets under management in late 2001. This wasn't the end, though. The fund went on to lose an additional 45% in 2002, and in 2005 the fund manager stepped down. Much like ARK Invest, Munder had a number of additional funds to feed investor enthusiasm for dot-com stocks. There was the Munder Digital Economy Fund, the Munder International NetNet Fund, and the Munder Future Technology Fund. 
Research shows that, in general, fund investors underperform the funds they invest in, and they do this by chasing returns. A paper by Dalbar Inc. showed that over a 20-year period, the S&P 500 returned just over 6% a year, but the average equity fund investor achieved a return of only 4.25%. They found that the average investor buys after a price rise and then fails to stay invested in any given fund for a long enough period of time to realize the long-term benefits of asset ownership. Digging deeper into Jack Schwager's book, he discusses how any search for the top-performing mutual fund will usually return a list of sector funds, as there'll always be one stock market sector that's outperforming the broad market. He then looks at what happens if you invest in the recently best-performing sector, the recent worst-performing sector, or the overall average. Generally, it turns out to be a mistake to invest in last year's best-performing sector. He also looks at 140 years of US stock market data and finds that the periods of highest returns come after periods of low returns. Baron Rothschild, an 18th century British nobleman, is credited with saying, the time to buy is when there's blood in the streets. Rothschild followed his own advice and made a fortune buying in the panic that followed the Battle of Waterloo. Okay, so are there any other lessons we can take away from the rise and fall of the ARK Disruptive Innovation ETF? Well, one vulnerability in ARK's model is that the ETF often has very concentrated positions in smaller companies. The problem with this is that as investors add money to the ETF, this money is used to buy shares in these small companies, which then pushes the stock prices up. ARK Invest often owns more than 10% of the companies they invest in. The problem then is that if the ETF underperforms and investors start redeeming their shares, the exact opposite happens and the selling can push down share prices, hurting performance, driving even more selling. One example of this issue is Protolabs, a 3D printing company. ARK Invest built up a 15% stake in the company, and the buying pressure helped to push its market value from less than $3 billion at the start of 2020 to a peak of almost $7 billion. But when ARK Invest began cutting the stock's weight in their ETF, the stock price collapsed. It's fallen 75% from its peak today. The dangers of illiquid investments are highlighted by the story of Neil Woodford, once lauded as the man who can't stop making money, and Britain's Warren Buffett. In June 2019, he was forced to suspend trading in his $3.7 billion equity income fund after being unable to cope with a surge of investor redemptions. The Woodford situation was more extreme than ARK Invest, as many of the companies he invested in were totally illiquid. The UK markets regulator, the FCA, said at the time of the suspension that a fifth of the fund's assets were in extremely illiquid assets, many of which did not trade at all. ARK rose to prominence during the COVID pandemic, a time characterised by retail trading, meme stocks and cryptocurrencies, with many online investors using Twitter and Reddit to exchange ideas. By getting involved in social media and freely sharing ARK's research, Wood developed a cult amongst a younger audience of investors. 
ARC's website even has a store where you can buy merch. Cathy made bold predictions about the valuation of companies she invested in, which drew a lot of attention on social media. She predicted that her ETF would generate annualized returns over the next five years of 50%, something that has only been achieved by one registered investment company since records began, and that was a three times levered fund. She announced that GDP growth would reach 30 to 50% a year due to breakthroughs in artificial intelligence. I don't really know what to tell you about that. Um, She's an optimist, I suppose. She posted a YouTube video in 2020 of five industries that investors should avoid. They've all outperformed her ETF by now. Investors haven't yet really started selling the ARC Disruptive Innovation ETF. In fact, in the first half of this year, it saw $1.5 billion in inflows, according to Track Insight. But the ETF's fall from grace has brought about a growing army of short sellers, and the short interest in the ETF is over a billion dollars. It's argued that investors have not yet dumped the ETF, as over the last few years they've been conditioned to always buy the dip. After all, stonks only go up. See you next week. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.